0: This is a unique podcast exploring the criminal justice system and those involved and affected will educate and expose the public as well as potential jurors to what takes place behind the scenes of those who are facing the system. Your host owns a litigation support firm called Justice Technology Professionals, and he works on criminal and civil cases offering support to defendants and counsel. What you're about to hear is an open dialogue, opening the minds to the public, to what takes place in reality, as opposed to what you think takes place. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Justice Tech Pros Podcast. Here's your host, Dominic Kria.
1: Hello, listeners. Hope everybody's doing all right. I wanted to jump into part two. I don't know if this will be the last part, all depends how quickly this goes, as I don't like to make the episodes too long. I know for myself, I start to lose interest if something's just way too long, so I I like to break it up and keep it under a certain time frame, so we'll see, uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, We're resuming where I left off on the previous episode, part one, this will be part two, and I'm gonna start talking about David Evangelista in this part and his relationship to the rule 33 submission and if time permits I will then address Frank Pasqua and his role if not that'll be part three we'll see how it plays out so I'm gonna bring up the submission and this is uh, where we left off this is now the section that begins to dive into David Evangelista. So we have point A, which is the government's October 20th, 2020 letter regarding the recordings of Mr. Evangelista's telephone calls from MDC, MDC. Now, just to clarify, I mentioned this prior, but I want to uh, make the point again. The government has an obligation in the court of law in a federal trial where they have to give Brady disclosures. What a Brady disclosure is, it basically consists of anything that may be impeaching information where you can impeach the witness or exculpatory information and evidence and it's material to the guilt or innocence of those impacted, uh, the defendant themselves. It would uh, impact their guilt or innocence As it relates to trial and the brady information must be turned over prior to trial now remember this information these audio tapes were given a year after the trial was over and the government tried to pass it off as if it's really not that important we misplaced it but here it is now and it has no bearing it shouldn't be it shouldn't be that big of a deal that's that's pretty much what they tried to say in their response obviously the defense disagreed with that after going through the audios and transcribing the audios and we're gonna discuss that nearly a year after trial concluded the government filed a letter October 26 2020 it gives the ECF number the ECF number is the filing number if you're a member of PACER and anybody from the public can join PACER that'll give you the uh, the document numbers so you could look it up and see the the piece in its whole form and its complete submission. To inform the court and the defendants about a set of recorded phone calls made from the Metropolitan Detention Center, Brooklyn, MDC, by cooperating witness David Evangelista that recently came into the government's possession. The government's letter briefly outlined its understanding of how it came to possess these records and the steps it has taken since the recording came into possess- possession. And this is a quote from the government's letter Uh, according to the government's letter in response to a subpoena it served on mdc and here's an excerpt from the letter the government has since learned that around the time the mdc received the subpoena an mdc employee mistakenly gathered evangelista's recorded calls for the time period covered by the subpoena and placed them in a compact disc on a compact disc the employee then put the disc aside to pick up to be picked up by the government as is the employees usual practice. The MDC did not notify the government that the disc had been created and because the government had not requested the disc and was not aware of its existence, it made no effort to retrieve the disc from the MDC. Uh, So that's, to me, that's their excuse, I guess, of why they turned it over a year later. They're blaming whoever fielded that at MDC and uh, explained that it was never turned over. So that's their excuse for giving it to the defense a year later and passing his, it off as no big deal. Subsequently, on September 22nd, 2020, an investigator with the US Attorney's Office went, went to the MDC to retrieve recordings for another prosecutor in the office. At that time, an MDC employee also provided the investigator with several other sets of recordings, including the disc which the MDC had gathered for prosecutors in this office, but which had not been picked up for some time. The disc included recordings of 70 of Mr. Evangelista's telephone calls from MDC. As the government's letter noted, some of the calls appeared to have been made by inmates other than Evangelista, Rather than produce all 70 recordings, the government listened to them and have produced to the defendants any recordings, 33 in number, that would have produced before trial had the disc been in the government's possession then. Think about that, which is a little odd. There's 70 recordings, and the defense was only allowed to have 33 of them. They only gave us 33. And they want us to trust that their vetting of those recordings was sufficient enough to conclude the defense didn't need them now how would they know what the defense needs or doesn't need wouldn't it make sense to turn over the entire lot of the recordings and have the defense decide which is relevant and helpful not have the opposition decide that i find that whole process very suspect and how those things are allowed and people will often say oh they can't do that no they they could do that and they did that So it's just an interesting notation for those listening just to weigh, reasonably just weigh that. If the opposition has 70 recordings that could be helpful to a case, wouldn't it make sense that the defense have the opportunity to at least listen to all 70 and then decide if they agree or don't agree as to the weight of the information provided on those recordings? Something to think about. Item B. Disclosures directly related to substantive evidence in the case. At least two aspects of the new disclosures relate to specific substantive issues in the case and therefore implicate the substance of Mr. Evangelista's testimony. For example, the prison calls demonstrate that Mr. Evangelista had intended to work in the prison laundry room and that he may have done so the week that he claimed Mr. Landonio was trying to escape and had acquired a supply of bedsheets to do so. Now that's an important notation uh, because on the calls he does refer to how he got a job in the prison laundry room and one of the charges that they tried accusing Mr. Landonio of was an escape charge and part of that was due to finding sheets in his cell. So we would have wanted known about him working in the laundry room because we could have went down the road of questioning of how those bed sheets actually got into the cell and what their real purpose was. Fortunately, Mr. Londonio was acquitted of the escape charge as the trial did not believe uh, Mr. Evangelista's testimony as it related to that specific charge. Uh, Exhibit 24, that's the prison recording that is cited, and it took place on July 25th, 2017, and this is David Evangelista speaking. Listen, I got a job next week in the laundry room. I'm going to be working in everything. Thus the prison call established that, thus the prison calls established that Mr. Lund and, and Evangelista, apologize for that, that Mr. Evangelista had opportunity to plant bedsheets in Londonio's cell and then alert the authorities about the sheets. So that is why that is a relevant detail that would have been very necessary to be aware of during trial. We would have been able to show that tie-in and show that his character where he looks to set people up. Also, Mr. Evangelista's sentencing submission revealed that MDC and inmates had access to tabloid press that feasted on the vivid details of Evangelista's egregious past and, and and anticipated testimony in this case, and that the inmates circulated such press accounts within the institution. There uh, we're just referring to the gangland article that was present within the uh, prison and highlighted and, and spoke and wrote about Evangelista's upcoming testimony as well as the article had mentioned the nickname Steven wonder Stevie wonder which I spoke about previously and and I believe it's uh, addressed here as well in fact mr. evangelista admitted that he had been informed that the defense in this matter was allegedly responsible for leaking 3500 to media outlets so evangelista was saying that he was told that the defense was leaking 3500 material to media outlets, which again is absurd. You can't leak protective order information without having a serious problem. So that's absolutely ridiculous from, from my standpoint. Anyway, And from what our defense team had done. Part C, Mr. Evangelista's clear intention to leverage his cooperation for improper personal advantage and retaliation against others. This, the prison calls also demonstrate that Mr. Evangelista viewed cooperation as a mechanism for improper personal advantage and retaliation against others. For instance, he threatened his mother and other family members that if they did not do as he wished, he would inform the government about crimes they committed. So on these telephone calls, you have this guy telling his own mother and his family members, his brother was one of them, that if they didn't do what he wanted, he was going to inform on them and tell about any crimes they they may have done. Once again, extremely relevant to character, extremely relevant to preparing a trial and to cross-examining this witness. Yet, the government said, ah, these tapes are no big deal, you didn't need them. Can't strongly disagree any more with that statement. Speaking to his mother about his brother, Mr. Evangelista admonished her. Listen to me very carefully, very carefully, very, very carefully. Take heed to my letters that I sent you, and take heed to what I'm saying. If I receive any more mail, I don't care who died or whoever. If I receive any more mail, I'm going to open a can of shit on your son. I'm letting you know right now. Trust me. Trust me. This, your son, your son, will be locked up if I get another letter. I can guarantee you on that. So here he is telling his own mother, that if she writes him another letter, or he gets another letter, he's going to inform on his brother, her son. And then it goes on to say, let me tell you something, this is not the end of it, because everything works out, that the worst of it, believe me on this, believe me on this, then I will be dragging people through the mud, I can guarantee you on this, and everything, I hope you told them all of that, because let me tell you something, when I find out if it's when I find out if that's everything that was said and I'm going to find out this week I can guarantee you on this I can guarantee you on this and everything believe me I can guarantee you a can of worms is going to be opened up so bad believe me I guarantee you on this and everything Uh, this guy uh, likes to threaten his mom apparently and that was another prison recording other party to the conversation advising mr evangelista yeah what's going on with threatening people because i'm being told that you're threatening people and their children so that was the other individual on the line that were asking evangelista why is he threatening people and why is he threatening people their, their kids again all relevant to character all should have been in the defense hand prior to trial and all should have been a we should have been granted the ability to utilize these elements to impeach this witness. The prison cause also established that Mr. Evangelista and his family were in a dispute about his cooperation and that his family's correspondence memorializing that disagreement had been copied by the government. And we give an example, another prison recording. This is a June 12th, 2017 recording. And this is him uh, talking on that recording. This stupid ass fucking letter that I just got, that they just copied and everything, listen, you can, don't ever write me the fuck again, honestly. I am dead in all the eyes, honestly. Don't ever write me. Whatever comes my way, I'm going to take it. Believe me on that. Whatever comes my fucking way, I'm going to take it and everything. But let me fucking tell you something. I got black and white on your fucking son, all right? Turning me in, not only once. So again, threatening his brother via his mom. Mr. Evangelista complained bitterly about his family, citing the correspondence with the government that apparently disparaged him. I got a fucking brother that fucking turned me in. I got a sister that I don't fucking talk to in 11 years. She's trying to talk to a fucking lawyer for me. I don't talk to her. I come to find out she sent a fucking letter to the marshal's office about me. So what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Again, that's another exhibit, and that's the prison recording. And remember, all of these exhibits are attached to the filing, so every one of these transcripts was included in the uh, complete submission. Item D, Mr. Evangelista's motives for bias against the defendants. Mr. Evangelista's sentencing submission and presentation recounted his suffering as a result of his cooperation against the defendants in this case. For instance, Mr. Evangelista claimed to have endured several years of abuse, difficulties, and pressure not to cooperate at the behest of Mr. Londonio and his associates, which resulted in Mr. Evangelista being placed in a specialized unit for his safety at MDC. And we give an exhibit with a mem- memo supporting that, that fact. Specifically, Mr. Evangelista claimed he was mocked, reveled, and threatened, indirectly, and th- directly by Mr. Londonio and his associates. Again, uh, the sentencing what the exhibit was was Evangelista's sentencing memo. so they spoke about that when he went in front of the judge to be sentenced for his crimes in exchange for his cooperation and needless to say, he wasn't given any time, his cooperation, so he was let out. And mind you, This this is a guy who has multiple attempts from prison, bank robber, a drug user, uh, and again, a a, a liar, a perjurer, and he was let off uh, scot-free, as is usually the case, because he testified against a target that the government had in their crosshairs, targets that the government had in their crosshairs. Mr. Evangelista also claimed that federal correction correctional officers conspired against him and that they, too, had subjected him to mental and physical abuse on behalf behalf of Mr. Londonio. According to Mr. Evangelista correctional officers conveyed messages about Londonio's suffering and encouraged Evangelista to cease cooperation and verbally and physically abused Mr. Evangelista. Mr. Evangelista represented that correctional officers threatened him and called him a rat and others beat him and maced him in the eyes and mouth in retaliation. Mr. Evangelista even filed administrative grievances against the correctional officers which generated an administrative proceeding. Mr. Evangelista further claimed that he had been attacked by four inmates inside his own cell because of his cooperation against Mr. Londonio and that he decided to spend a significant period of time in the special housing unit at the MDC in order to avoid abuse difficulties and pressure not to cooperate. Now what he's sh- now, the reason what he's doing here, in other words, in the letter to the judge, they're trying to garner sympathy and show the judge everything he supposedly went through to testify all the abuse and all that. So that that's why they put that in the sentencing submission to pull it to judges heartstrings and give them a, uh, lighter sentence which nine out of ten times works now mind you you would think there would be much more investigation into these matters to find out their validity what took place again it's just going off of what was submitted now I'm not saying whether it did or didn't happen but when you see things like this you would want to know more details you would want to see the reports to back this up I would anyway I would just want to make sure this is legitimate when, when weighing this information at Mr. Evangelista's sentencing it was also revealed that the government inter, intervened to provide him safe Harbor. And that it had, and that it had him transferred to Orange County jail where he had a more comfortable experience. So they took him out of MDC and sent him up to Orange County. And this is what the government had said in connection with the sentencing. Again, this is what they put together in the sentencing memo to Try to convince the judge not to give their witness, their informant, any time or to give them the minimum amount of time possible. So part of the letter the government wrote, Evangelista has suffered significant injury and risk as a result of his decision to cooperate. Evangelista's identity was disclosed to the media and published in Gangland News well before he testified at trial. As a result, he was subject to abuse, difficulties, and pressure not to cooperate, even when placed in a specialized unit for his safety at MDC. Moreover, when the abuse got to be too much to handle, Evangelista elected to spend a significant period of time in the special housing unit at MDC. It was not until the fall of 2019, in the month before trial, that Evangelista was transferred to Orange County Jail, where he had more had where he has had a more comfortable experience. Now, one notation I want to make, based on Evangelista's false lie where he claimed Mr. Landonio was trying to escape, which he was acquitted of those charges at trial, the jury believed it was a complete lie, he didn't try to escape. But based on him saying that, they put Christopher Landonio in the shoe, or also known as the hole, for almost two years. That gentleman was in the hole for almost two years based on him accusing him of trying to escape. So think about that, a jailhouse informant who is trying to get out of his own wrongdoings. He was in jail for bank robbery, escape, trying to escape. He smashed a marshal's foot in the door when he was trying to escape. He was in jail for all those things. He met Chris. He saw Chris as his ticket, for lack of a better word, And he accused him of trying to escape, which I want to reiterate, he was found innocent of, found not guilty of during trial. And because of that, they stuck Christopher Landonio in a hole for almost two years. Part E, Mr. Evangelista's exposure to perjury charges. The prison calls also disclosed that despite its subsequent vouching for Mr. Evangelista in July 2017, the government was threatening to charge him with perjury. So in one of the prison calls, we hear how Evangelista is saying that the government is threatening to charge him with perjury, so they caught him lying. The conversation suggests he had committed some type of fraud in connection with his case, in which he pinned blame on his mother and other family members. So again, we don't know the details of it. We weren't given that information. However, from his phone conversation, he refers to that taking place where the government was trying to charge him with perjury after catching him trying to pin blame on his mother and other family members. Regarding the government's threat of a perjury charge, Mr. Evangelista had this exchange during a phone call. And here's an excerpt from the phone call. Evangelista, yeah, they're going to try to hit me with new charges again, these people. Other party. What you talking about, Evangelista? Well, I don't know. I guess, Mommy, somebody said something and everything they said. Well, you know, well then, other party. What kind of charge? I guess uh, perjury, some shit like that. So, And then we uh, cite the uh, exhibit and where the conversation can be found. Part F, Mr. Evangelista's efforts to withdraw his guilty plea. The prison recordings also reveal that Mr. Evangelista was scheming to withdraw his guilty guilty plea contemporaneously with his proffers about Mr. Londonio's claimed confession. Mr. Evangelista vowed during the calls to find a way out of the consequences of of his plea agreement. And the night before he claimed to the government that Mr. Londonio had tried to escape MDC and had confessed to the Michael Meldish murder, Mr. Evangelista told others he was committed to try to do something. Now, let's think about that. The night before, he went to the prison and said, oh, Christopher's trying to escape. He told his family members that he's going to try to do something. He wants to withdraw his guilty plea. And he's talking about the guilty plea he had done prior to cooperating in relation to his own crimes, the bank robberies and the prison escape. So he's talking about that plea, that he wants to find a way to get out of it And the night before he went to prison authorities, he then, he told his family members, I'm going to try to do something. Think about that. Let that sink in. And what does that tell you? Again, this is the government saying that all of these tapes are irrelevant. Uh, That is a ridiculous statement. We would need to definitely expose this to the jury. Definitely. We have to show the jury what's the mindset of this individual. And how coincidentally, the night before he went and told the prison, oh, Christopher London is trying to escape, he told his family member that he needs to try to do something to get out of his plea. So let's put two and two together here. What would any reasonable person say that he came up with to try to avoid his plea? And that's informing. Mr. Evangelista stated, I'm telling you, man, I'm going to take my plea back i want to try to take my plea back i've got to i've got to and everything because this because this is getting crazy yeah my sentence day is september 15th it's coming too close i've got to try to do something try to get in touch with the judge or something because i need my plea back i want to take my plea back now this is crazy so here he is he wants to get his plea back and he needs to come up with something to get his plea back and in my assessment my personal observation if i was putting this all together and how I see how this guy operates, it's very obvious to me that his plan to get out of having to take that plea was to go to the authorities, start informing, making up lies, making up the lie about Chris trying to escape, making up the lie about Chris apparently confessing to him because none of these things came into play until after this conversation and he wanted to get out of his plea for his own charges. Prior to this devastating admission, the prison calls reflect that Mr. Evangelista had initially schemed to withdraw his guilty plea by telling the court that his lawyer tricked him into taking the plea and made false promises about his sentencing exposure. So before he came up with this plan, he had tried to make the claim that he was uh, incorrectly advised by his lawyer and his lawyer tricked him. He tried scheming on that route. And I figured that wasn't, I guess he figured that wasn't a strong enough route. So he switched things up and decided to go the lying informant way. And this is a prison recorded dated July 19th, 2017. No, I'm going to write him a letter. I'm going to let him know. Listen, I'm going to the judge. You tricked me into taking this plea. You promised me 60 months with the cap if I turned myself in. What he means by turned himself in is he escaped and, and then turned himself in in exchange for this plea. He escaped from, uh, from prison and then turned himself in. Uh, turned myself in this, that, and I'm going to tell them, I'm going to write a letter to the judge. That's all. So, so that's him telling uh, somebody on the phone that he was going to write the lawyer a letter telling him those, those details. Part G, Mr. Evangelistas continued drug use while cooperating. Again, Apparently, the prosecution did not believe that that was important or relevant to the case. The defense disagrees. If he's still committing crimes, still using drugs while cooperating, that's something we would want to talk about and we would want the jury to know. And then leave it to the jury to decide if that matters or not. In addition, the prison calls demonstrate that Mr. Evangelista continued to be addicted to drugs during both the time of cooperation and the events about which he cooperated. Again, there's the exhibit number and the recording date. Let me tell you something. I don't care. Yeah, I, I got addiction, whatever, whatever. Things take over my life. Listen, I'm just telling you, though, I have an addiction. I have a very bad addiction. Do you hear me? A very bad addiction and everything. If you notice, this guy says an everything a lot after uh, a lot of his... A lot of his words and everything. And people were trying to take steps to get this fixed and, and everything. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something in my heart. So there he is. He's talking about his addiction. And he he can't break the habit. And it's taken over his life. Once again, to harp on it, it's important for the jury to be aware of those things. important for weighing character and where their head is at. As we all know, if somebody is on in a legal substance, they're not in the right mind frame. they're not in the right headspace. They're not somebody that you could rely on to make logical, truthful decisions and/or statements. Part H Mr. Evangelista's ongoing mental health issues. While some of the sentencing submissions in Mr. Evangelista's case remain sealed, the court did order as a condition of a supervised release that Mr. Evangelista participate in a mental health treatment program. So the court ordered that as part of their order and part of the condition of a supervised release. And, uh, for an exhibit, we offered up the sentencing transcription echoing that fact. And here's an excerpt from that. I'm also going to take the recommendation of the probation department that you participate in an outpatient mental health treatment program approved by the probation office. The court authorizes the release of available psychological and psychiatric evaluations and reports, including the pre-sentence investigation report to the healthcare provider. So that's the judge saying, uh, part of his supervised release is to be subject to psychological evaluations and reports. Part I, Mr. Evangelista's continued criminal conduct while cooperating. Again, very important to make the juries aware of these things when a cooperating informant is still committing crimes while they're cooperating and there's no accountability. Free reign to do as he wishes. Even while at MDC and cooperating, Mr. Evangelista continued to engage in heretofore undisclosed criminal activity. Even though even a cursory cursory monitoring of his phone telephone calls would have uncovered it. For example, the recordings demonstrate that during the summer of 2017, Mr. Evangelista continued to engage in narcotic trafficking and an attempted extortion, extortion, as well as other corruption. So the, the, the tapes just show that this individual was committing crimes, trying to extort trafficking, narcotics and other items. And here is an example of what we had mentioned prior that he was doing. In late July 2017, Mr. Evangelista attempted to extort MDC inmate, and it has the inmate's name. I redact these things. Their names are on the public filing, but being I'm doing the podcast, I just don't see the need to really put it out there. It's irrelevant. I just want to focus on the facts. I don't like dragging people into things or mentioning names that it's just unnecessary they have nothing to do with this uh, as far as the podcast goes and, and the point I'm trying to make they have nothing to do with that aspect uh, let me just start that over in late July 2017 mr. evangelista attempted to extort MDC inmate inmates name and his wife so he's extorting the inmate and the guy's wife after mr. the gentleman's name had failed to pay his $400 drug debt to evan- to mr. evangelista So the inmate apparently didn't pay uh, David Evangelista for the drugs that he was selling him, and now he tried extorting the guy's wife. And there's the exhibit of the prison recording which references such. The attempted extortion involved Mr. Evangelista in full predatory mode, threatening Mrs., that's the inmate's wife, that her husband could be harmed if Mr. Evangelista was not paid. And this is uh, Evangelista speaking. I took care of the guy, and I know he's your husband. I don't know if whatever his problem is, he's lying or whatever, and I understand he has a habit. He caught a habit in here. I understand that and everything. I called you and everything. I know he's in Otisville right now because I know people that are there and everything. (laughs) That and everything, Jeez. All right, apologize for the laughter. You know, I don't want to send a message over there and let him know what you're doing is wrong because it's like a slap in my face, you know, and I know he's got a habit. He caught a habit and everything. He's going crazy. He's doing whatever and everything. I took care of my part. I did what I had to do and everything, you know, and I appreciate, I appreciate everything that you did and everything. And I just want you to know it's going to know it's got nothing to do with you, what he's doing to me what he's doing to you is wrong it's really wrong and everything because he's not thinking he's only thinking about one thing and one thing only and everything (laughs) i apologize the everything gets me i don't know it reminds me of like a shot game every time you hear and everything take a shot he's only thinking about one thing and one thing only and everything and it's not right but but this guy you know he's telling lies and he's got 10 years to do it's not he's got a little time to do it's not going to be good for him so here he goes threatening the wife that it's not going to be good for her husband if he doesn't pay so what does that mean obviously a threat mr evangelista displaying his capacity for complete and comprehensive fabrication also engaged in a perverse ploy of deceit in an attempt to gain sympathy to convince her to pay him whereby he wove a fiction that he was married, had a seven-year-old daughter, and that his daughter was sick, and that he needed the money for his sick daughter. Now, think about that for a minute. He's completely lying. He's not married, and he doesn't have a daughter. He's trying to play that card, which is sick and twisted, to even, there's certain things I just don't, you just don't go down certain roads, and, and saying your kid is sick, or inventing a kid that's sick. Is one of those roads really shows character and to me very important for the jury to hear something like that there's mothers there's fathers there's people who have sick children in the family and you got this twisted person using that as a crutch inventing it to gain sympathy and here's what he says is there any possible because my wife listen I've got a daughter she's seven years old she's sick and everything and my wife needs to take her to the doctor and everything that's why and he knew about this and everything the first name you spelled it wrong she cannot pick it up unless the first name is spelled right now what he's saying there to give you further insight on that he's yelling at this this guy's wife he's telling her the guy's wife tried uh sending a money order uh but apparently she got the name wrong i guess he wanted the money order sent to somebody's name so they could get the money all for this whole drug deal And apparently the wife got the name wrong. So it screwed up him getting the money. So that's why he's freaking out. Evangelista also lied to his family member, whom he convinced to retrieve from Western Union, the hoped for extortion payment, falsely representing that he had done legal work in prison and was receiving payment therefore. So... He's lying to his family members as well as to what he's doing in there, that he's selling drugs. He's telling them he's doing legal work. (laughs) Now, remember, this is a guy who ate razor blades. It's documented. This isn't something I'm making up. It's on the court records. It's on the uh, trial transcripts. He ate razor blades and he's given, apparently doing legal work. (laughs) The government's October 26, 2020 letter, And then it gives the mark provides evidence of other corrupt behavior by Mr. Evangelista, Wyatt, MDC, that some of the calls on Mr. Evangelista's account were placed by other inmates compels the conclusion, considering the range of Mr. Evangelista's other income generating conduct while at MDC, that he was selling access to his phone account, which is not an uncommon practice. So you're not allowed to do it. They forbid it, but a lot of inmates will sell their phone account to other inmates. Uh, for various reasons, so he was doing that as well, which is another infraction. While cooperating, moreover, the prison calls disclosed that Mr. Evangelista utilized a Facebook account while he was at a halfway house in 2006, and we attached. We actually attached the Facebook account pictures as well as the prison recording. I'll uh, find out about that, maybe on another episode. Episode I'll. I'll show a lot of those items, the Facebook posts and things like that, um, which led to the defense to track down the photos he posted during that time frame. So when we saw that in the prison recordings, we went, we investigated, and we grabbed all those Facebook posts. Those photos show Mr. Evangelista has multiple tattoos, including a large tattoo on his stomach of two firearms and the phrase step off. And we're citing uh, the Evangelista Facebook post representing that. While the government tried to, tried to convey to the, oh, a spelling error there. I'm tired. While the government tried to convey to the jury that Mr. Evangelista was not violent, non-violent and never used a gun in connection with his crimes, the markings on his body dictate otherwise. So again, not a huge point, not something that's groundbreaking, but it is something that is deceitful. They're trying to paint this individual as this harmless, non-violent person, yet he has. Tattoos on his body with two pistols that say back off painting a completely different picture, so That's information the jury should be aware of they're saying they're nonviolent yet. They're representing different ink on their body that is putting out a or posturing in a manner that that um, Portrays violence so that's just a point the defense wanted to make You have to realize a lot of these points, some are much more stronger than others, but it's all about the cumulative effect. You have to show how this is a trend, how hiding one thing turns into hiding another thing, turns into hiding another thing, both small and large. You have to, you have to lead the judge down that trail to let them understand the impact that all these little things have. And then a lot of big things, actually. He's doing drugs. There's a lot of big items included. But you want to include the little items as well because you just want to show the overall picture and capture the overall characteristics of those involved. This is part segment three post trial disclosures related to Frank Pesqua III. Now, I think I'm going to stop here as I believe I want to do an episode on each informant related to this filing. So I'm going to focus on Frank Pescois in the next episode and we'll go from there and then we'll tie it all together in the conclusion and really give you a feel for the gravity of this submission and of this memorandum. I also want to say a few things. Um, This is nothing that I didn't anticipate so I'm not surprised by it. I'm not altered by it. Obviously, the opposition is intensifying, which I called many, many times over. For those in this space, I know how I handle those things. Those things, when people speak venom, when people are nasty, when people are rude, when they're insulting over social, over a YouTube platform and comments, they talk tough, they curse, it shows their character. They're being tough over a computer, they're saying things that they're too much of a coward to say in person. Uh, they use fake names. And that's all well and good. That's part of the game. You'll never hear me complain about that. I'm in this space. That's part of the game. I expect nothing less. But my advice to those who do get impacted by that, don't let that sway you one way or another on what you're doing. If you're if you're focused on something, you're putting out contact content, who cares about the peanut gallery? do what you feels inside do what you're able to sleep with at night by the material you're putting out and do whatever your comfort level is we all have different levels of comfort what we're okay with what we're not okay with what we're comfortable with who we're comfortable with associating with who we're comfortable with having a conversation with you don't need the approval of anonymous individuals just casting insulting remarks to operate in a fashion that you wish to operate it don't ever let anybody dictate what you want to do and what you don't want to do i do whatever i want to do and i operate in a manner that i want to operate with and i support things that i want to support and the naysayers the people who do better who who apparently know better it's nonsense it's their words their words hold no value They disappear in the air the second they, they breathe them out. They're meaningless. So don't let that deter anyone. And I'll tell you one thing. They're tipping their hat. They're getting very concerned about we push back, what we're doing, the exposure different things are getting, and they don't like it. That's the bottom line. They don't like it. Regardless of your content, if somebody's knocking it, abusing it, It's common sense, right? If you don't like something, don't listen to it. If they're listening to it and they're engaged with it, they have a problem with it. It's aggravating them. It's getting to them. So use that. Use their misery to fuel your drive and your motivation. That's what I do. I've done that my whole life when I've had people who doubted what I'm capable of, when I had people who underestimate what I could do. I welcome that. That motivates me. That motivates me in conjunction with the support of those who matter, and my family, my dear friends, and surprisingly, a ton of listeners. The support I've received from listeners, from the public, and it's not a matter of, oh, they agree with me, great. That that's not it at all. When I say support, I mean they're taking the time, they're listening to the information, they're digesting it, and then they're concluding however they wish to conclude. But the mere fact that you're taking the time to listen, you're vesting your time and your attention into something is very meaningful. And don't diminish that. Don't diminish your role. All the supporters out there, all the listeners out there, whether you're in support or not, just don't diminish your role. By you just taking that time to actually listen and understand, that says a lot. It shows that you are open and that you are reasonable. We may not reach the 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 same conclusion based on the information but at least you're reasonable and you're open to different sides you're open to different perspectives maybe you're self-aware and you may realize hey i was looking at this wrong and now i'm not there's nothing wrong in that to me that's a sign of intelligence if somebody shows me i was looking at something wrong i have no problem saying hey you know what i looked at that wrong i apologize my fault i'm gonna now i align with this way of looking at things there's nothing wrong in that so I respect that. And I just want to thank everybody and, uh, to those in opposition, those upset with what is going on, listen, game on, do your best. I'm going to do my best. I know the solid members of we push back are going to do their best and let's see how it all pans out. But I'll tell you one thing, and I've said this many times, there may be people smarter, well equipped have more degrees than i do nobody and i mean nobody will outwork me and i don't say that to be arrogant that's just work ethic i know what i'm capable of as far as what i can produce so i say i, I, I welcome the challenge I, I welcome the opposition but i'm gonna keep doing my thing it's gonna do nothing but motivate me and i and, and i am grateful for that motivation. Sometimes you need that boost to, to give you a little kick and wake you up. And that's it. Those are my words of wisdom. <laughs> uh, till next time.
0: You've been listening to the Justice Tech Pros podcast with Dominic Kria, one of the most unique podcasts on the internet, discussing the obstacles the defense team faces when trying a case, what goes on behind the scenes during pre-trial and motion phase, holding defense attorneys accountable, making sure they're fighting for their clients, the difference between textbook law and how things truly play out in a courtroom, and everything in between. And everything in between. We hope you've gotten some some useful and practical information from this show and we'll be back soon until then find us on twitter facebook and instagram at justice tech pros to email the show with questions and comments it's podcast at justicetechpros.com till next time this is justice tech pros podcast and dominic crea signing off